I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hey everyone, how are we doing today? As always, thank you so much for tuning in to the podcast. Today, I've got Randy from CPW with us. Randy and Clint have previously talked on here, and we're going to just follow up on the conversations that Randy and Clint have been having going into the new year of hunting season. We want to just dive into the general update for all of you guys, what to expect, what to be looking for, and Randy's here to deliver that to you guys today. So, Randy, the floor is yours. Excellent, Andrea. Hey, thank you very much for uh, having us on, as always. Um, As you mentioned, I'm with Colorado Parks and Wildlife. My name is Randy Hampton. I'm a public information specialist. And so uh, my job is basically to to help share information with anybody that's out there that needs it from our agency. We are a a big agency, obviously, you know, managing uh, Colorado's state parks, 42 of those. Um, plus managing hunting and fishing in Colorado, and that's that's big, big business, rivaling the ski industry in the state for the, the, the amount of money that it produces for the state economy. So that's a that's a very big deal. And we also you know manage outdoor recreation, um, including registration on snowmobiles and boats and and uh, you know ATVs and things like that. So um, lots going on with Colorado Parks and Wildlife as always. It just um, you know is a is a is a busy 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 place. Um, I represent the northwest part of the state um, as the as the spokesperson for kind of the northwest corner of the state, which is everything from you know, Steamboat Springs and, and North Park down through the, the, the tunnel, Silverthorne, and, you know, even moving uh, west from there down to Grand Junction, got the Aspen area, Vale, Eagle, Glenwood Springs, and then up into Meeker and Craig. So definitely a very outdoorsy part of the state and uh, just always fun to, to come on and, and talk with you guys about, uh, you know, about what's happening with the agency and what's, uh, what's new or, or, or maybe what's not new. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to answer questions and, and tell you a little bit of those things. Where do you want to start, Andrea? Um, yeah, let's just backtrack real quick. Did you, correct me if I'm wrong, but did you just say that the money at the ski hill, so, you know, people got to pay for a ski ticket and, and, um, 
and all of that, does that money go into CPW? Does part no, of that? No, no. Okay. Um, you know, it, it's um, we we rival the ski industry for how much we bring into the state economy. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, for many many years, um, outdoor recreation is is kind of you know the the lead uh, economic driver for Colorado. So we mm-hmm. do. Um, you know, we bring in at parks and wildlife um, for for wildlife recreation money that's spent on hunting, fishing, mm-hmm. and, and watchable wildlife brings in about one point eight billion dollars every year to Colorado's economy. So, pretty substantial driver in terms mm-hmm. of the number of jobs created and the amount of money produced. It is the same as what the ski industry produces. Gotcha. Um, so they bring in about 1.8 billion as well. Um, and you know, outdoor wildlife recreation and skiing have kind of been neck and neck, one and two for many, many, many years. We've recently been passed, actually, um, no longer one of the biggest economic drivers. Um, marijuana is actually, I believe, two billion a year. So now it goes marijuana, and then. And then hunting, yeah. Outdoor recreation (laughs) and and ski industry. So, um, you know, times they are a change in, I guess. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, it remains hunting and fishing and and just being outside and, and, you know, even even watching wildlife remains a key driver for Colorado's economy. So what we always tell people is, you know, the, the hunting season means as much in towns like Rifle and Craig and Meeker as the ski season does for Vail or Aspen. Um, hunting and fishing is very, very important in Colorado's economy, especially Western Colorado's economy. Yeah, and all those smaller rural towns, absolutely. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. absolutely. I hunt over towards Meeker area, and you drive through there in the summer and it's dead, but you drive through there during hunting season and there are trucks from everywhere. <laughs> it is, it yeah. is orange and, mm-hmm. and ready to go. Exactly, yeah, pumpkin um, patch in town. Yeah, the, the, I was talking to somebody in Meeker who owns a business in Meeker, and they said the, the hunting season is basically, uh, you know, the 13th month of the year. You know, <laughs> they'll make as much in yeah. each season as they do in, um, you know, as they do in a, in a regular month. Mm-hmm. Um, so even a, you know, a five-day hunting season is like another month on the calendar for some of those businesses. It is a very, very big deal. I'm really curious to see if things are going to be changing with all this COVID people moving because I know here in Steamboat Springs and some of the rural towns around like Hayden and I think even Craig is starting to see a rise in population numbers. People heading out this way knowing that they can work from home and they can live that mountain lifestyle. So I'm really curious to see how the next, let's say, you know, five years will play out if we're going to see a rise in hunters and um, just population growth with that as well. Absolutely, and it's it's really been an interesting time. I would tell you if we, you know, if we get in our time machine and we go back to March of 2020 when the whole COVID thing started up, I would tell you that there was a great deal within our agency, a great deal of, of worry and concern that oh my goodness, you know, we're gonna are we gonna have to shut down parks? What does mm-hmm. this mean? Will this you know, decimate the the hunting seasons. Nobody will travel. Nobody will come to Colorado. Nobody will go outside. Those were the fears we had headed in. And I don't think anybody could have been prepared for the exact opposite of that. 
right everything that was outdoors in 2020 and now in 2021 everything outdoors was busy just massively busy we had record crowds in state parks we had you know record numbers of fishing licenses sold mm-hmm. record numbers of people applying for big game licenses record numbers of people that were you know that were just buying licenses and going out maybe hunting for the first time mm-hmm. so it was definitely you know kind of a surprise um, a pleasant one it's mm-hmm. it's great when we can get people outdoors um, but it really changed a lot of what our agency had to do in terms of, uh, you know, trying to to keep track of everybody and to, to make sure that the people were out there. Y- you know, it it's funny when you when you think about record park attendance or record fishing license sales, you think, hey, great. You know, for years, the outdoor industry has tried and tried and tried to get people involved. And, you know, recruitment and retention and all these words that we use to try to talk about how do we get more people to hunt? How mm-hmm. do we get more people to fish? Um, apparently, global pandemic is, yes. is the answer to <laughs> the that. Answer. You know? And then we've got to try and figure out how to manage it all. Oh, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and you know, with more people fishing, it means, you know, more trash on the shorelines mm-hmm. and, and, and more, you know, fishing line that has to be picked up and, Um, You know, there's all these implications for it and all these things that, you know, we've had to do. It was interesting talking to some of our park managers. They talked about the sheer number of people that were camping in state parks who really didn't know how to camp. You know, generally a park manager is going to go around, they're going to deal with, you know, the the usual typical campground problem. Somebody's a little noisy or, you know, those kinds of things in in 2020 and now, you know, moving into 2021, park managers and, and park rangers find themselves going out and having to show people, oh, you know, yeah, here, here, here's the, you know, here's the fire restrictions. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, you probably want to level that RV. Here's how, you know, teaching people those things. Um, but people, you know, a lot of them didn't even have the, the, the typical campground etiquette. About, you know, not cutting through somebody else's campsite or, or, you know, not letting the kids play next to the, next to the other person's camper, you know, and, and all these little things that, that we were going, oh, wait, now we, you know, now we're teaching that. So it was mm-hmm. a, it was a complete change and, and unexpected one when it came to, you know, what COVID meant to, to managers. It was fascinating to, to kind of be inside and watch. And it's, you know, it sounds kind of silly. We kind of laugh about it like, oh, they don't know how to like do this or do that. But I think we can really take it as a positive thing from this whole experience, you know, is it's bringing more people out outside and it's teaching them how to get out there and have the basic survival skills, get them away from those screens. Like growing up, I didn't have a television at home. So for me, all of my time growing up and still is spent outside and my friends come over and they're like, Drea, you should go to Walmart. TVs are like 250 bucks. They're pretty inexpensive. Just go get one. And I'm like, yeah, or I can use that towards my, my tags this year, you know, (laughs) or like to a new pair of hunting boots or whatever. Like (laughs) I don't have time to sit in front of a screen. There's too many good things outside to be doing. So it's really good to see, to see that extra, um, interest in those Abs- people absolutely. getting out. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, you know, so many people had worked so hard on trying to figure out how do we make people, you know, interested in this? How do we get 
people interested in this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once you tell them to stay inside, everybody's going to go, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. Right. (laughs) Can't do that anymore. I'm going outside. My kids are driving me crazy. (laughs) Right. And and one of the things that, that we know, one of the things that we know for a fact is that when people are active outdoors, their values for nature increase. It's a great point. And, you know, so people value natural resources more when, they, when they're out there in nature, when they use them. So all these new people may be new, but they gain a value. Mm-hmm. They, they gain an understanding for, you know, a state park system that they may not have had an understanding for. They are more likely to support measures and candidates and, and all kinds of things in the political spectrum mm-hmm. that, you know, where candidates will support the natural resources, will, will support conservation. Um, you know, people who maybe try their hand for the first time at hunting or fishing are more likely to support those candidates that are out there that are, that are pro hunting and fishing. And so, you know, we know that just getting people outside really begins to change how everyone views and responds to the natural resources. So it's, it's critically important without saying, you know, anything about, about politics. It doesn't matter, you know, what, uh, you know, what, what party they support, what, whatever, we know they have value for natural resources and that, you know, that, that translates and means a lot. Um, and long-term, will have great benefit for mm-hmm. people that enjoy the outdoors. There's also the benefit of mental health. I was talking with my good friend the other day. Um, I'm hoping to do a little short film on the importance of your mental health connected with nature and just being out there. And um, And I've had conversations with some of my friends that I've guided with as well about how just being out in the wild is such a a strong component of our mental health as well. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. Clears your mind away from the the chaos of the world, from the stresses, right? From all your obligations that you're tied to and it kind of just fades away when you're out there. So always, I always look at it as like a good meditation session, you know, getting out, clearing the mind and enjoying our natural resources. Oh, sure. And it is, you know, it's... It was one of the reasons that we really worked hard as an agency, why Colorado Parks and Wildlife worked so hard 
to keep everything open. We were one of very few states that were able to keep our state parks open. Um, and, and that was incredibly challenging for staff, especially when you think about, you know, we started the year in a, in a, in kind of a, a very tight budget place for park funding. There were concerns about, um, you know, Oh, what's, what's COVID going to mean? We're already behind the eight ball financially on some of these, these parks. It, you know, if COVID means less people, man, what a, you know, what a, what a hit. And so a lot of the parks did not, and were not able to hire temporary staff, mm. which is something generally right around this time of year. Um, you know, as we head into spring and summer that the, the parks are really, really engaged into. And so the, you know, the, the park managers came in short staffed and all of a sudden an explosion of people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they were, they were kind of behind the eight ball and chasing it. Right. So did that but go we, through the summer? Did you guys see yeah, the numbers stay high I mean, through we, the summer? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, numbers remained high through the winter. Um, we saw campgrounds that had people in them through the winter in parks that generally have nothing. Hmm. Um, you know, and a lot of the parks have, have closed campgrounds and things like that in the winter because of the, um, you know, because of the, the, the lack of supply of water and different things like that. So they, they generally close those campgrounds down and they did, but you know, in, in, in campgrounds that stay open through the year, uh, we, we saw people even in the winter, wow. um, you know, one of the things that, that was interesting is, and and was was certainly, um, you know, kind of sad to watch a, a record year for avalanche deaths mm-hmm. in Colorado, and we also saw record sales of winter outdoor recreation equipment. You know, that backcountry gear was selling like crazy. People continued to get outside in the winter. It mm-hmm. created that challenge of, you know, the 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 increase in, you know, because of the avalanche conditions being so bad, that increase in, in deaths that we saw. Um, and there's some interesting factors in that. Um, and, and maybe something that carries over a little bit into, to folks that hunt and fish. Mm -hmm. Well, what we saw with winter recreation was the people that got themselves in trouble. Um, it wasn't the new people. There were a ton of new people. But most of the, the fatalities that we saw in the avalanche deaths were people that were experienced backcountry folks. And, and in talking to some of them, one of the things you'd hear them say is, you know, with people in their party, in their group, that would say, oh, well, we went to this other place because the usual places were so crowded. Uh-huh. And so, you know, even these people that are experts <laughs> finding themselves pushing maybe beyond where they should to avoid that crowd. And mm-hmm. so that tendency comes up on us, you know, when we, we look for a spot to fish, if there's a bunch of people in our, our favorite fishing spot, we're going to find something, something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so really a, a, maybe a, a word of caution to everybody that's headed out. Um, be aware of, of the dangers and the limits um, exactly. that we all have. Don't right. push yourself so hard because there's other people, you know, in your space that you get yourself in a dangerous situation. All right. I think this goes into a great transition into all the fires that we had here in Colorado last summer. And obviously people aren't going to be running around in the mountains in those areas. And 
kind of transition into, you know, we probably, well, we definitely saw the effects of that last year with fires being in particular areas and hunters coming out and realizing, all right, I've got to find somewhere new to hunt. And that resulted in a lot of congestion in certain areas. I saw that here near Steamboat as well and over towards Meeker as well, just a congestion in numbers because of those fires, people being forced to go and hunt different areas. So let's take a minute and talk about the fires and maybe a little bit of the history on last year and kind of what we can expect for this upcoming season with those those areas that were affected. Yeah, last year, you know, we we started kind of the summer. Um, The big fire that started things off was, was kind of the Pine Gulch fire, which was over by Grand Junction, north of Grand Junction. And, you know, burned 100 and, I don't know, 140,000 plus acres and quickly became the largest fire in recent Colorado history. And everybody thought, wow, that was big. That was massive. You know, they were, they were lucky to contain it. And, and everybody was, you know, kind of stunned by that. And then a few weeks later, these other fires start up. You see things like the Cameron Peak Fire. Um, you know, the, the East Troublesome Fire in Grand County, uh, Williams Fork Fire south of that, the Grizzly Creek Fire that closes Glenwood Canyon through, you know, for, for I-70 mm-hmm. f- for, for a week. I rafted um, through that one. Yeah, and mm-hmm. just amazing, amazing, um, you know, stuff that was going on. And then, you know, suddenly the, the Pine Gulch fire is like third in history because two other fires surpassed it. We saw things like the, the East Troublesome fire that grew more than 100,000 acres in a single day. Unheard of in, in high timber fires. It just doesn't generally happen that way. This one did. Um, so we saw, and we saw those impacts. Now, you know, people think about it and they go, oh, well, you know, okay, 140,000 acres, 150,000 acres, 160,000 acre fires. It's, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of land. And it's a challenge because you see the, the, the fire so large that, that we begin to get this idea that, oh, everything's burning, you know, and, and that's not true. Um, there's, there's 23 million acres of, of public lands in Colorado. Um, you know, and, and so when, you know, when half a million acres has fire, um, it, it seems like a lot and it is a lot and it's, it's tragic, but there's also plenty of other, other public lands out there that are untouched. So we went through those fires and there were really three things we had to focus on as an agency when it came to the fires in Colorado, we had to focus on the wildlife and, and, you know, mostly the terrestrial wildlife. What are the implications for deer, elk, um, you know, all the big game herds? What are, what are the implications for the animals that are, that are walking around out there? Then we also had to focus on what are the implications for aquatic life, fish, and most people don't think about that in fire. We'll talk about that a little bit. But then we, we also had to focus on what are the implications for people, for recreation, for hunters that are trying to get out there. So let me, let me run through real quick kind of what we know now that we're past that fire season, what we know about those three things. When it comes to big game animals, everybody 
worries that somehow this is going to, you know, decimate. I mean, decimate was one of the words I heard a lot. Oh, this decimated the elk. This decimated the deer herds. Not the case at all. Not the case at all. Wildlife evolved in a system in the Western United States that included fire. There has always been fire in this system. It is natural. And, you know, in the, in the 1800s, 1700s, you would go and, you know, these fires would burn millions of acres. And the only thing that would put them out was winter. Hmm. Um, the wildlife, the deer and the elk know how to respond. And we, we actually have a lot of tracking collars on elk because of a research project. And we were able to overlay some of that movement information from those collars and the progression of the fires and when you watch the elk, they, you know, they'll move out of the way of the front line of that fire and right back in behind it. And they'll utilize those areas even when there's active fire. Um, so it's, it's fascinating to watch how the, the animals respond. These troublesome fire was so fast that it did create some problems. But even with that, with all the animals that we received calls about, that were that were killed by the fire or animals that we had to put down because they were injured by the fire we're really into numbers that are less than about two dozen less than about 25 animals we're aware of in a hundred and you know fifty thousand acre fire um, wow. now we know there's animals out there we don't see we know that but what we've seen with with fire for big game is ultimately the impacts are individual animals, not population scale. Individual animals do die in fires. It's a you know it's a sad reality, but not to the level that it really affects those populations. And we'll know more as we go along, and uh, you know check all the data and stuff. But even the the biologists that flew the area in the winter to to assess the herds said they they saw what they pretty much typically see in terms of numbers wise. Mm -hmm. So not a population level impact so big game wise everything's okay um you know there there's there's certainly challenges long term all of that area that burned um you know it'll it'll rejuvenate it'll regrow um in fact you know there there are hunters out there that'll really be wanting to get into those areas this year because when you know when the snow's off and the the green up occurs it's like an ice cream shop for for deer and elk <laughs> mm -hmm. you know just great forage a lot of the canopy gone so the sunlight hits the ground brings out those those very nutritious forms and and you know can help in some mm -hmm. ways in fact we use fire to improve wildlife habitat so overall um, though the, the fire had some tragic consequences, and we certainly feel for, for all of the people that were impacted, um, for big game, it, it may have some benefits in the long run. Mm -hmm. Now, you get to, to fish, and that's another, uh, another area where we have to focus. And aquatic species are, are probably most affected by wildfire. Um, people don't think about it because they think, oh, the fish are in the water. You know, fire doesn't burn them. Um, but that's not the case. The, the fire may not burn them, but the fire creates a tremendous amount of ash. And all of that ash and debris is washed into those streams. Um, and we, we have to watch that when we get into the, you know, the winter runoff and we get into, you know, spring and the snow melts. And then, then you know, even summer monsoons come. 
um, we anticipate that a lot of that ash and debris is going to end up in the in the waters. It can create toxic situations. It can create, you know, just a mudding of small creek that, that suffocate fish. Um, so there are certainly implications and, and negative impacts we're going to have to be watching in some of these areas that burned and we'll do the best we can to to mitigate those and, and try to minim, minimize the, the implications for aquatic species. And then, um, like you said, people. Um, you know, hunters couldn't hunt in certain areas. They moved to other areas. That creates crowding issues, and, and we have to kind of watch that and figure out how do we deal with that. So, you know, one of the one of the big challenges was for managers that are trying, land managers that are trying to take care of these fires. We saw the, you know, the, the Pine Gulch fire north of Grand Junction when it was at about 100,000 acres. You know, wow, that's a, that's a lot, of, lot of land. But the Bureau of Land Management had closed 300,000 acres to keep people out of the way of the fire equipment and the firefighting. Mm-hmm. And so as we headed into hunting season, suddenly we were looking at 300,000 acre closures and really had to work hard. And, and we so appreciated what the, what the Bureau of Land Management and the U.S. Forest Service were able to do in, in keeping some of these areas open to allow hunters still to get into areas that, that maybe they typically had. doesn't mean there weren't closed areas. There were plenty of closed areas. Um, but, you know, we, we really worked with those agencies to try to shrink some of those closures where they could so that, you know, safety was still maintained, but people had access to, to many of those lands that were unaffected. It'll be interesting to see as we go through kind of this year, how much those fires damaged um, you know, infrastructure, roads, mm-hmm. trails, bridges, um, because there may still be areas um, that, that, are, that remain closed through this year because of the fires from last year. So people that are, that are headed out, the thing I would tell you is check with the, the, the land management agency where you're going to be, be hunting or, or fishing if you're in those areas. Um, see what the see what the regulations are. See what the land looks like, and that'll that'll help a ton if you kind of go in prepared. Um, we think it'll you know we we think many of the areas will be reopened, mm-hmm. um, but there may still be areas that are impacted. Absolutely, and we want to respect those places, obviously, for our safety and for sure. the whole natural resource of it as well. Um, yeah, and and you know it's it's so so important, and and sometimes it just gets glossed over as as common sense and it's we as sports people have to be absolutely careful with fire um you know your campfire you 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 just we all have to do better Mm -hmm. Um, i agree with that yeah we don't you know we know some of the fires last year we know that the pine gulch fire was caused by lightning we know that the fire in grizzly creek up up glenwood canyon there was either a cigarette that someone tossed from a vehicle or possibly chains uh, on a vehicle sparking after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers if we've learned anything it's that there's always a catch so when i heard that mint mobile wireless plans are 15 dollars a month when you purchase a three-month plan i thought what's the catch but after talking to them it all made sense 
There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So we know that, you know, this isn't hunting related. There were um, reports of hunters in the East Troublesome area the day before. And so, you know, is there a possibility that, that somebody in, in maybe our group of, of people had something to do that? We hope not. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing is we, we have to make sure that the outdoor community, that the sports people don't become the easy scapegoat. Mm-hmm. For these fires starting up, we have to watch what we do, maybe more than other people, because the last thing you want is, you know, land managers getting to a place where they they want to start restricting that outdoor ability, um, that that ability to get out there and, and go into those places. And so, I'd I'd offer a special caution, um, you know, if you're out, you're going out, you're camping or or hunting or whatever. Be extra careful with your fire, mm-hmm. um, you know, always, always take the extra um, time to make sure you're doing it right and make sure you know the rules Exactly. for what's allowed, where you go. We are the repre- representation out there. Absolutely. And, we don't want taking away what we love the most simply by wanting to chill around a campfire with our friends at hunting camp. Like you can survive without sitting around a fire if there's yeah, a fire it, ban, you know? You know, if there's a fire ban, don't don't build one. Yeah, you exactly. know, be the example, be, be intelligent in, mm-hmm. in what we do because it can hurt us all in the long run. One of the things we saw when, when the conditions were so dry last year was some land management agencies starting to say things like, Oh, well, you know, muzzle loaders create a flash, so we might have to ban those on our lands this year. And when you talk about, you know, uh, all the muzzle loader hunters, uh, they don't know those conversations that are happening behind the scenes. And, and no, none of the agencies went there. None of the counties really went there. It's, it's just that, that we want to make sure that, that everybody stays safe, does the right stuff. Um, so that we don't see those restrictions. Mm-hmm. And we can continue to keep doing what we love to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So follow the rules. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> sometimes we don't like the rules. Yeah, they're there for a reason. Um, but they are there for a reason. While so. we're on the topic of wildfires, I want to pick your brain a little bit on like preventative fires. So I know I, I don't know a lot about this, so maybe you could enlighten us all. Um, but from my understanding in the past years, years back, they used to do preventative burns out on national forests to sort of prevent if a wildfire were to happen, prevent like a big spread. Can you enlighten us a little bit on that topic? Yeah, a little bit, because, you know, we, we once again don't at at Colorado parks and wildlife don't have a lot of control over those things. Those are federal forest managers that are that are making decisions based on best forest management practices but i can tell you many of our state wildlife areas we work with you know the forest service the bureau of land management to conduct those planned burns 
to to burn off areas, um, whether it's to improve habitat uh, or it's to lessen risks of catastrophic fire, um, and you know, and provide some some areas of, of of shelter and refuge for firefighters. So there's a lot of different reasons that that those fires, those planned fires, are burned. Um, and the and the Forest Service continues to do them, mm-hmm. as does the BLM in areas where where it's safe to do them. Um, obviously, when we have you know level one, level two fire restrictions, level three fire restrictions, potentially, mm-hmm. you know they they put those off, but um, they continue to do them where they where they need to when they can when the conditions are safe and right for them. You know, people think that fire is just a big, giant, black spot. So they go, oh, wow, over 100,000 acres burned in Fire X. And they think that that's 100,000 acres of big, black nothingness. Mm -hmm. And that's not how fire burns. Fire burns in in what we call a mosaic pattern. It actually leaves areas untouched. And, you know, the, the best example of that, go to... Go to think about think back and and everybody that was in Colorado will get this the Grizzly Creek fire. Everybody was was crazy because they thought, oh no, you know, it destroyed Hanging Lake. Hanging Lake is this iconic, beautiful place, and there's you know there's 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 wood structures, there's there's hiking trails and bridges and you know all kinds of things. And so people that have hiked Hanging Lake are like, man, that fire moved through there. They're going to have to, you know, it took years to make that trail what it is, to build those bridges, to to do all the things. They're going to have to redo all that. How long is it going to take to to rebuild Hanging Lake? And those were the conversations people were having. Six days later, when they were able to finally, you know, kind of start flying that, looking at it and going, hey, wait a second. The fire completely skipped over the the, the canyon, the, the draw that, mm-hmm. that Hanging Lake was in. None of that area was burned at all. Um, you know, minor implications around the perimeter, but for the most part, dodged a bullet. And, you know, that's how fire works. It jumps canyons. It, it moves, you know, in, in different ways. And for some reason, you know, wildlife seems pretty smart. That's where, you know, a lot of the deer mm-hmm. and elk hang out in those canyons. They know the spots. And, right. Mm-hmm. And, and whether that's they have a sense of how the fire is going to be or, you know, some kind of instinct or or whatever, who knows? But like I said, they evolved with fire, and they do pretty good at it. So, um, you know, some areas don't get burned, and 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 then the areas that do get burned begin to spring back up, sprout that new growth. Mm-hmm. It's it's super super good habitat work. So yeah, we use fire frequently to um, you know to create better better habitat mm-hmm. when we can. Safely. Absolutely. April 1st, they are opening the boat ramps on the Colorado River just to commercial use, not for private boaters, um, but commercial use. So rafting companies, fishing companies, and whatnot will be able to start accessing the river again, which is good to know. It's good to mm-hmm. know that we will have a river season coming up soon. So, Awesome. What's your, uh, what's your take on the wolves? When do you think we're going to start seeing, (laughs) (laughs) I know they're already around and we're seeing them, but what's your prediction on when we're going to start seeing impacts? (laughs) It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky one to to answer because we don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the voters last November said, Hey, develop a, develop a plan 
to, to reintroduce wolves into Colorado, to restore the wolf populations in Colorado, develop the plan, mm-hmm. ready, set, go. And that, that's really where we're at. We're yeah. developing the process. We've, we've hired a facilitator who will, you know, kind of handle that, that external process of, of getting people, um, you know, involved and, mm-hmm. and able to participate in public meetings. And there'll be plenty of those. And we know wolves have wandered into Colorado. There have probably been a dozen or so that, you know, that we know about from sightings and we've been able to confirm. And there's probably more than that. Uh, undoubtedly, we don't see everything. Um, we get a lot of reports, um, hundreds of them. But, you know, so often many of those are, are dogs or coyotes or foxes or, you know, somebody sees a flash out of the corner of their eye and, um, you know. See, you know, reports of wolf in in you know Cheeseman Park in downtown Denver or something, mm-hmm. and and we know okay that's that's probably not a wolf. We get a lot of reports, but we know there are wolves in Colorado. We have two of them that that, that have tracking collars in the North Park area. Um, one has a, a VHF collar, and he wandered into North Park more than a year ago, and so. You know, we've kind of been keeping an eye on that. He, he ended up getting a running mate, uh, another wolf, and we put a, a, a GPS collar on that wolf earlier this year. People might have seen the, the press release about that. So, you know, we're monitoring those. We also know that there there were up to six wolves in northwest Colorado, up in the corner of northwest Colorado, kind of Utah-Wyoming border area of Colorado. Um, we've seen and confirmed as many as six wolves on the ground up there. Um, that number seems to fluctuate as they, they move in and out of Utah and Wyoming and back into Colorado and those things. Um, so, you know, but we continue to see wolves up there. Um, so we know there's, there's wolves around. What will it be for when more things happen and, and when, you know, we look at putting wolves on the ground, hard to say, we know there's a hard date of, you know, the end of 2023 in the legislation that was passed. So we know it'll be by then. Right now, our focus, though, is the planning effort. We want to make sure we do this in the right way. A lot of other states have done this, um, but none of those states have six million people plus another million on the ground as as tourists at any given time. So um, we are also cognizant of the the concerns raised by the the ranching communities, cattle. Um, you know, as well as sheep and, and, and people who run horses and the, mm-hmm. the changes in some of those dynamics. So we're going to try and make the best plan that we can. Yeah. And that's really the process we're in right now. If people want to stay informed on that, hit our website, cpw.state.co.us, and more information is available there. And um, it'll be updated as public meetings are scheduled, as new documents come out that, that maybe people can can comment on and all of those things. Sounds good. Um, what are the general updates to 2021 for big game? So, um, you know, they're, very, they're pretty small, which yeah, is cool. Um, every five years we do what's called a five-year season structure process. And that's where we're really trying to make the big changes. You know, we try to... We try to make major modifications every five years, and that way people have the confidence that they know kind of what's happening. They don't have to every year expect these big changes to kind of go on. So we're in the middle of that. Um, We're in the second year of the current five-year season structure. So, you know, large changes 
not a lot of them in 2021. And in, in fact, most of the, the changes that occur are minor. Now, there's some that will affect, um, you know, people that are used to maybe buying a reissued license. So if I go on and I, I apply for a license and I get the, the license I, I've been waiting for, you know, used a couple of preference points, whatever. But then I get, um, you know, I get COVID or I... I have a, a, a break my leg and, you know, something comes up, I have to return the license. There's a, there's kind of a new process for how that license gets reissued so that somebody else might be able to jump in and go, no, I, that's great. Hey, I'll take that license. So there's a, there's a bit of a change in the license reissue process. Um, we put out a, a list now. It'll come out every Tuesday morning, 11 a.m. Um, and then the, the list is there. Uh, and the licenses become available for purchase every Wednesday morning, starting at 11 a.m. Um, and then it changes a little bit again. So the the best thing for people to do, if you're you're interested in how do those reissues work, check out the the 2021 uh, fishing big game fishing brochure, and that information on all those changes are in there. There were a few minor changes to to things like youth hunts. Um, but it's it's really more, you know, small tweaks that, that don't affect most people. Um, but there's a there's a whole page, um, the kind of the at a glance what's new page in the the big game brochure that explains all the all the changes, all the things that people need to to be watching for. Is this why we're seeing the pushback on the dates of seasons this year? You know, season dates are interesting because we, we did see some pushback. Um, one of the things that happened was there was an adjustment in the five-year season structure. The five-year season structure was changed um, prior to last year. And and that five-year season structure really tried to, to make a larger gap in between the seasons. A couple of reasons. Biologically, it gives animals a period of rest. It lets them, you know, kind of, okay, take a break in between those hunting seasons. Additionally, for people that are that are hunting, um, it makes campsites more available because people who are hunting one season have a chance to move out of those campsites, and then other people come in a few days later, and those those campsites are available. Versus having those seasons back to back, where that that overlap doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't really have time to happen. Plus, outfitters also said, "Hey, it's great to have time to get people in and out of the field." Exactly. So, from that perspective, everybody was like, "Oh, this is great." And, and everybody was on board with it. Well, one of the things that happens when you push the, the distance between the seasons, when you begin to widen that out, it pushes the seasons later in the year. And so when we come into 2021, what you notice is you're going to start seeing third and fourth season impacted by things like Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And people go, oh, no, Thanksgiving's right there. That season starts on Thanksgiving Day. What about my my you know, what about my family event? What about? And and so people kind of push back on those dates. Um, also, fourth season gets into when some forest cl- roads close. Typically, the Forest Service puts in dates to close roads after fourth season ends. But those dates are put in into forest policy. And so they go into these, you know, these big 10-year planning documents for the Forest Service that they close the roads on, you know, X day, which was typically after fourth season ended. But now we've pushed those fourth season dates out. And so now all of a sudden people are like, oh, the, the road for fourth season is going to be closed. Mm-hmm. 
But there are people out there that look at both of these changes, whether that's, you know, the holiday overlap or the the road closure overlap. They look at those changes and they go, oh, wow, wait, that that might be better. Right. They like the Thanksgiving break because they can get their kids out of school and, you know, go and Mm -hmm. the family goes hunting and it's great. They like the road closures because they go, you know, that makes fourth season in this area actually really great because I can get out and not have, you know, people on ATVs, not have people on those roads. I like more that backcountry experience. So for as much as there's pushback from people that are like, but wait, it's Thanksgiving. There, there's also those people that are out there that are like, yeah, but I like that because I, I can hunt with my kids again. And, you know, so it's there's always pushback. There's, always pros and cons. Yeah. Always people that are affected or aren't. Mm-hmm. And so let's just look into 2022. Would those dates be pushed back further or or did, would they be brought back? 2021 is the latest because the way the calendar falls, 2021 mm-hmm. is the latest they will occur. Okay. And then they start moving a couple of days back um, as we go forward. So 2020 was the earliest they would occur. And then the way the calendar works, it's it's basically a seven day shift. Um, so Thanksgiving's actually earlier mm-hmm. and the, the season dates overlap. Um, and become later. So 2021 is the latest we'll see those seasons. Um, but I, I think a good sports person's going to look at the, that calendar and go, oh, wait a second. Mm-hmm. You know, that puts me um, puts me in a different place, third season, fourth season, than maybe where I'd been before. So, um, you know, maybe some opportunities out there for people that are like, man, I've been trying to get that fourth season license forever. Mm-hmm. And they're really hard to get a fourth season license in that unit. You might look at third season because this year, third season's as late as fourth season was a couple of years ago. And so those hunting opportunities in third season might be just as good as fourth season was and, and not require as many preference points. Exactly. So learn to use the calendar to your mm-hmm. advantage and and you'll be better off as a sports person and maybe do it with few less preference points. Yeah, there's always a lot of information to take in. I feel like every season's just a little bit different, and I love it because it always keeps us on our toes, right? We're like, all right, so what's new this year? All right, maybe I need to try something different. All right, I'm going to go with this, you know, depending yeah. on wildfires or, you know, dates being pushed back and, and things like that. So, yeah, great information today, Randy. Is there anything else you want to add for the public? Get out there. Any events coming up? Any general information? Any last little bit you'd like to add? Andre, I just uh, thank you for for having us on. Thanks to you and Clint for what you guys do for the, the the sports people out there in the in the Western U.S. If people have questions, you know, go to our website cpw.state.co.us. And I think for people that have that have never hunted Colorado, the one thing you'll find is we are open and we are happy to have uh, those those folks coming to Colorado. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, if people want to hunt, we'll we'll find a way. We're one of the few states that still has those, you know, over the counter big game bull elk licenses. You know, the mm-hmm. the the you can come to Colorado and hunt. We're open. And so, you know, if people have questions, get on the website. Um, we've got great services like hunt planners that'll help you figure out where to go, and mm-hmm. when to go, and what to apply for, and all of those things. So just hit the website. It's a great place to start. 
Awesome. Well, thank you, Randy, for joining us today. Thank you for CPW and all you guys do. And have a great day. Thanks, hey, chatting. Thank you. We appreciate it. Yep. Take care. This is God's country.